Yeah, so we had a great, let's give them a hand, those that volunteered. We had a great time this week. Um, uh, we had, I think, somewhere between 20 and 31 kids that showed up over the course of the week, which is incredible. A lot of our kids, a lot of kids from the neighborhood, and we just hope that keeps growing every year. But there were so many people. We had like 36 volunteers. I know a lot of you work during the day, and we, apparently we have 36 that don't, and so we had 36 that showed up, and uh, they did an incredible job serving and working. And so I just want to give a shout out to those 36. Can we just give them a round of applause for those that showed up and served every day, taught Bible school, did crafts, they did all kinds of stuff. Now, another group I want to thank just real quickly, and it's a group you all know. It's a group that I oftentimes tell them how fortunate they are to be in a church like this. It's a group that I tell all the time, you have no idea. One day, you're all going to, you know, at some point you may leave, hope you never do, but you're going to serve at a different church and a different staff, and you're going to find out there are very few churches that have this quality of love and care for their staff like this church. And I tell it all the time, well, today I want to flip the script a little bit. I want you to know how incredible of a staff you have. And this last week, I was there Monday. It was incredible. I loved it. I fell sickly. And the rest of our staff handled, uh, with our volunteers, handled the Backyard Bible Club. And it probably went a lot better in lack of my presence than it would have if I'd been there. But I know Kaylee and Drew and Rachel and Jerry and, and, and others were there. Let's give them a round of applause. We are very, 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 here you go, very blessed. And I want you to know that we're blessed to have this staff. Now, today we're going to continue in our series called The Struggle is Real. And what we've said from the very beginning is we all face struggles in life, every single one of us. But ultimately, when you come to the truth of Scripture, what we find out is the greatest struggle we all have is the struggle with sin. We all struggle with that. And so if we've been studying through the book of Romans, verse chapter 6, 7, and 8, what we found out is that Paul's addressing this idea that, that as believers, we need to understand our relationship to sin. We need to understand the truth about sin. So what Paul tells us out of the get-go, if you remember, was that, hey, as followers in Christ, those of us that are in Christ, we are dead to sin, but we are alive in Christ, right? Meaning you are dead. The sin no longer has power and authority over you. Now you are made alive in Christ. Is that good news, church? Say amen. amen. That's good news. He so wants to remind them of that. And then he goes beyond this. He says, listen, I don't want to remind you of that. I want to remind you as it, because you're in Christ, you're no longer under the law, but you're under grace. No longer are you under a mindset that you have to perform to be accepted. All you had to do was receive the loving grace of God, and you are accepted. And then last week, we came to a difficult passage. It was a passage where Paul reminds the church in Rome, say, listen, hey, while you are no longer, uh, you know, you're dead to sin, you're alive in Christ, you're under grace, not the law, but I want you to know something. And then here's the thing he wants them to know, that for all of us, we've got, we've got to look at our lives. For those of us that are in Christ, realize that we may be in Christ, but we still wrestle being of the flesh. Now, of is key, not in. Because if you're in Christ, you can't be in the flesh. I mean, if you're a believer, you cannot be a non-believer. So if you're in Christ, you're, 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 a, a, you're a believer. But he says, I want you to know that as a believer, sometimes we can be in Christ, but we can be of the flesh. Meaning we still wrestle with those fleshly tendencies. We wrestle with that old nature, that old man, that flesh that wants to pull us down. And if we were all honest, we would say, that is all of our stories, isn't it? That I am, for those of you that are believers, you are in Christ but don't you still battle that old flesh? Sure you do. And so you, you think about, okay, the, for, for me, my question is, okay, Paul, how do I deal with that? 
If I'm in, the, in Christ, but I'm of the flesh, I wrestle with the flesh, what, what do I do about that? Well, first of all, as we ended last week, we found out that what Paul said is, listen, we're at a war. You have a war between spirit and flesh that's raging within you. And basically, Paul says, here's how I choose to live my life. I choose to live my life in the middle of this tension, realizing I will always be harassed by the flesh. But I also will live the rest of my life realizing that I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit, Christ in me. And therefore, I will lean on him for protection, for deliverance, and for help. And I hope last week as a believer, you were able to make that commitment. That as a believer, you were able to come to the table and recognize that you can be in Christ, but you're still going to battle that old flesh. And as you battle that flesh, just come to this conclusion. I'm going to live the rest of my life recognizing the flesh is going to harass me. The flesh is going to try to draw me in to sinful behavior. But I know that Christ is in me. And I'm going to live my life leaning and depending on him. And then Paul comes to a little bit, a little bit later today. We kind of jump into chapter 8. And I really feel like the first 11 verses of chapter 8 is Paul basically telling the church in Rome, it's time for you to define the relationship. You know, when you, how many of you are married in Rome? Raise your hand. Okay. How are you happily married? No, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just keep your hands down. So if you're married in the room, here's what you know. There was a moment you defined the relationship, Right? Guys, how did you define the relationship? You went to the bank. You saw how much money your ring was going to be. You took a deep swallow, and then you decided, hey, it's worth buying the ring, right? You defined the relationship. And then what did you do a little further, man? You got on maybe one knee, or maybe she broke your arm. I'm not sure. But somehow, you proposed her. And so that relationship went from dating to, hey, now we're engaged Till we're going to be married. There was a moment where you had to define the relationship. What's this relationship going to be? And I really feel like when we come to Romans chapter 8, that's exactly what Paul wants to do. Paul's giving them tons of information. If you're in Christ, man, you've been set free. Hallelujah. If you're in Christ, man, you, you're not under the law. There's a battle going on. And so it's like Paul kind of gets to chapter 8 and kind of begins to think this way. Listen, it's time for all of you to define the relationship. Either you are in Christ or you are in the flesh and you need to make a decision. You've got to find out which one you are. When you, when you were in, in, in proposing to your spouse, ladies, was there a moment when he got on his knees? Let's just assume the best of him. Let's say he got on his knee and he proposed to you. Did he propose like this? You know what? I kind of think I love you. I kind of think I might want to spend the rest of my life. And my dad's always told me I can't get anybody better. So do you think that you would marry me? Is that how he proposed? Is that how he proposed? No, hopefully not, right? right that, that guy, you didn't marry that guy, right? So you, would, you didn't want him half in, half out, right? You wanted him all in. You wanted him to share the sweet stories and the sweet moments and, and to say things that were like written on Hallmark cards. And you want all this stuff said. And so in that moment, you were lavished with his love and care. And you knew that you were the only one he ever wanted to spend the rest of his life with. That's what you wanted. That's what Paul wants. I want you to either be in Christ and recognize it or recognize you're in the flesh. So in chapter 8, he helps them define the relationship. So you have your Bibles. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be today. And if you, if you don't mind, let's stand together as we read verses 1 through 11. Chapter 8, verse 1 says this. One of the most powerful verses in all the Bible. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the church said, Amen. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son, the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous, righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he will raise Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. In you. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this passage today, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that for all of us, that today would be a day that we would define our relationship. That for many of us, as we come into the room, as Abby so eloquently put a while ago, sometimes we praise you out of just obligation or routine. And God, I know there's a lot of believers that have walked this place. And I pray that today, as we go through this passage, it would just fire us up. We would get fired up about the good news of what you've done for us, and it would create an urgency in our lives. But God, I pray for people today that may realize, hey, they're really in the flesh, that really they don't have a relationship with Christ, that today they wouldn't leave here until they surrendered to him. So God, would you be with us today? It's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Now, as we think about defining the relationship, I think Paul really does a couple, three things here. The first thing he does is he wants to remind the church of the benefits of being of benefits of being in Christ. So he starts with the benefits of being in Christ. Go with me in verse 1. It gives us really three benefits, but there's one of them in verse 1. He says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He says, listen, if you are in Christ, meaning there's been a moment in your life when you were confronted with the truth of your sin, you turn from your sin, and you surrender your life to Christ, that means you're in Christ. You're saved, you're a child of God, you're a Christian. If you've ever come to a place where you've done that, I want you to know something. There is no condemnation for you ever again. Now, some of us go, okay, what do you mean by condemnation? Well, when someone is condemned, here's what that means. That means somebody has been convicted, and they are sentenced, and they are punished for their crime, right? That's what it means to condemn someone. They've been convicted, they're sentenced, and now they're punished. And what Paul says, listen, if you are in Christ, you will never face the sentencing and the eternal punishment for your sin. You are free from the penalty of sin for the rest of your life. You have been completely forgiven. Now, this is really good news, church. I mean, this is incredible. Because when I say you've been completely forgiven, here's what I mean. You've been forgiven all of your sins, past present, and future. No matter what sins you ever commit, if you are in Christ, you can today say, I stand forgiven. Not will be forgiven. I am forgiven. Is that good news? It's incredible. In fact, if you think about the guy who's writing this, if there was ever a guy who goes, if anybody could be condemned, it should be me. 
right? I mean, Paul was a hater of Christians. He was a killer of Christians. He went from town to town stoning Christians. You think there was a moment in Paul's heart when he realized that he's now in Christ going, okay, is there really, is it possible that God can really forgive me for all the things I've done? All the lives I've taken? All the families I've destroyed? So do you think this was good news for Paul? Sure it was. He's like, look, because I'm in Christ, there's therefore now no condemnation. I will never be sentenced or penalized. I'm free from the penalty and the eternal punishment of my sin. I have been forgiven. Man, what a great moment for Paul, right? What a great moment for you and I. And then Paul goes a little further and he tells us the reason that we are forgiven, the reason that there's no condemnation for believers. Look in verse 2. He says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, the word law here that he's referring to is not the word for like the Mosaic law. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's, not, he's talking about a mode of operation. And here's what Paul's saying. Listen, the reason you've been set free is because the mode of operation of the Holy Spirit, the, the life of the Spirit, which he's referring to the Holy Spirit. He said, the reason you've been set free is because the Holy Spirit has done what the Holy Spirit's supposed to do. Now, what is the Holy Spirit supposed to do for us? He's supposed to convict us of sin and to prompt us toward salvation, right? If you don't know Christ, that's what the Holy Spirit does for you. He convicts us of sin and he prompts us to salvation. And he says, there's some of you in the church of Rome that you've been convicted and you've been prompted and you've received Christ and you have been set free from the power of sin and death. Listen, we will all die physically, but we will not die spiritually, right? We will all die. We all will wrestle with sin, but sin has no authority over you. Sin has no control over you anymore. And I really feel like the reason that Paul was reminding this church of the same truth over and over and over again so he could tell them, stop living in sin, right? If sin has no control over you, stop doing it. If the stove keeps burning your hand, guess what? Stop putting your hand on the stove, right? And I think Paul's reminding them, listen, if you are in Christ, you've been set free. Stop living like a dead man who's, who's dead in the sin, and stop living like someone who's, gonna, who's enslaved to sin. You've been set free from that because the Holy Spirit has convicted you, provoked you, and, and pushed you, and you've responded to Christ. But then he takes it a step further. He tells us even the reason why at all we can even be set free. Look at me in verse 3. He says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh. In other words, he said, listen, the only reason we can even be forgiven is because God did what the law could not do. Jesus did for us what the law could not do. Now, I want you to hear me say something this morning. Maybe you don't know this and you need to write this down. The law was never designed to save anyone. The law of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, you know, the ones with Charlton Heston walking down the mountain there with, you know, Moses holding the Ten Commandments. And talk. I mean, that law was never designed to save anyone. You know what that law was designed for? To make wise the simple-minded. To open our eyes to the truth of the nature and the character of God. To show us what it means to live a life of holiness and purity. It was meant for us to lead us to a place where we would keep our focus, our attention, and our affection on the Lord. But it was never designed to save us. 
So Paul says, listen, the only reason you can even be set free to begin with has nothing to do with the law. You know, the law that we've been wrestling with for like the last four weeks has nothing to do with it. The reason you have been set free is because Jesus did for you what the law could not do. Jesus can save. And you notice there he says he took on flesh. He took on sinful flesh. He became one of us. And he died in your place called substitutionary atonement, meaning Jesus took your place on that cross, and if you put your faith in him, you can be a child of God. See, what I love is Paul tells this church, I said, listen, those of you that know that Jesus has died for you, he's taken your place, and the Holy Spirit has convicted you of that, and the Holy Spirit has kind of provoked you that place of you've responded to him. Here's the good news. You no longer stand condemned. You stand free. You stand forgiven. I'm just telling you, if you're a believer, and that should just fire you up, that one day you're never going to be sentenced and punished for your sin. You are free from the penalty and the punishment and the power of sin in your life. You are alive in Christ. That stuff has no power over you anymore. And Paul says, I just want the church in Rome to know this, that if you belong to Christ, the Holy Spirit's done what he's supposed to do, you no longer stand condemned, you stand forgiven. That's good news, isn't it? And then he goes on, he kind of tells us a couple of more benefits of being in Christ. Look at me in verse 4. He says this, In order that the righteous requirement of the law must be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but in accordance to the Spirit. Here's what Paul says. Here's some other benefits of you being in Christ. First of all is you are made righteous. That word righteous just means in right standing. So if we are in Christ, we are now in right standing with our Heavenly Father. Can God, does God, uh, does, can God tolerate sin? No. Can God look on sin? No. But if we are in Christ, how does the Father see us? Does he see us as sinful, wretched, pitiful people? Or does he see us through the blood of Christ of people that have been forgiven? How does he see us? As forgiven. And one thing Paul reminds them, yes, you're not condemned, but also, you are also, one of the benefits of being in Christ is you are now righteous. You are now in a right standing with God. And it has nothing to do with what you've done. Nothing to do with what you've done. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done for you. Let me give you another kind of theological word. It's called imputed righteousness, meaning because Jesus was right and he fulfilled the law perfectly and because he was right standing with God, when we put our faith in him, that righteousness has been applied to you and I. Guess what? God doesn't see you as sinful trash. He sees you as sons and daughters who've been forgiven, adopted, accepted, and his children. That's how he sees you. So he says, no, you're not condemned. You're made righteous. And then he says, also, you're made, you're, the, 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 the third thing is the benefit of being Christ is now you're in the process of sanctification. Did you notice what he said there in verse 4? Who walk not according to flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, now that Christ is in you, you actually now have the capability of living a life pleasing to God. Can you live a life pleasing to God if you don't know Christ? No, you can't. Even with your best intentions, you can't. He says, listen, if you are in Christ, you've now begun the process of sanctification. You now can live a life that is actually pleasing to the Lord. So the first thing Paul wants his church in Rome to know is, listen, here are the benefits. As you define the relationship, here are the benefits of you being in Christ. Right? Here's the benefits. No longer condemned. Right standing with God. And now you can live a life pleasing to God. 
And then he goes on and he talks about the mindset of those who are in Christ. Look at me, verse 5 through 8. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things according to the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to put the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For God does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And here's what Paul says. As we think about the mindset of those in Christ, those who are in Christ set their minds on spiritual things. Right? Those of us that are in Christ, our minds should be inundated with spiritual things. Like what, Doug? Well, okay, like maybe your relationship with the Lord. Your growth. The time you're spending with him. Maybe it's just this idea of your spiritual things, a sense of how can I better serve the Lord? How can I better share my faith so someone else's life will be impacted by my story? How can I better live a life that is pleasing to the Lord? How can I live in such a way that's honoring to him? How can I engage in biblical community? I mean, when you are in Christ, our minds should be focused on spiritual things, eternal things things. He says, if you are in Christ, that's what your mind's focused on. But if you're in the flesh, your mind is focused on the works of the flesh. Now, what's the works of the flesh? Galatians chapter 5. It'll be on the screen. You can read this. Galatians chapter 5 says this. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things of these things I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not inherit what? The kingdom of God. See, those who are in the flesh, that's what their mind is focused on. Now hear me on this church. Those things are what drive those people. If you're not in Christ, these are things that drive those people. They are only focused on indulgence for their self. What do I want? What do I need? What do I desire? And fulfilling that very thing. In fact, Paul goes as far as to say, those that are in the flesh, that have the mind focused on the flesh, they are hostile toward God. You know another way of saying that? They're enemies toward God. And it's not because they hate God. It's because they refuse to obey God. God's law. They refuse to obey God's word. Why? Because they can't, because there's not Christ in them, right? And he ends with this powerful statement. He says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So you've got two mindsets. Those that are in the Christ focus on spiritual things, and those that are in the flesh that focus on fleshly works. And here's my question this morning. Where is your mind at today? Now, if you're a believer, I know we all struggle, and we all know this from last fall, that our mind is the battlefield, is it not? Our mind is the enemy's battlefield. We all know that. And, I'm like, and we all wrestle with things. I'm just talking about, by and large, if you were to take the conglomeration of your life and your thought life this last week, where are your thoughts? Is it on spiritual things? Is it on fleshly things? Because here's what I believe. Our mindset can help us define the relationship. Our mindset can help us determine, are we really in Christ? Are we in the flesh? Now, there's one more thing that Paul does here. One more thing he points out, and it's this. He's talked about, you know, basically he's pointed out to them the benefits of being in Christ. He's pointed out the mindset of those in Christ. And then he talks about the evidence of being in Christ. Look at me, verse 9 through 11. He said, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if... 
He's not telling them all, he's not saying all of you are believers, I know that. No, no, no. He's saying, listen, you're not in, you're not of the flesh, you're in the spirit. If, if, in fact, the spirit of God, what? Dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So here's what Paul says. Here is the evidence that you are in Christ. You ready? Here it is. Everybody look at me. Here's the evidence you're in Christ. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That's the evidence. The evidence that you are in Christ is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. If there is no Holy Spirit, there's no salvation. That's it. Now, do we all struggle? How many of you struggle in your life? How many of you struggle? Come on, come on, come on. I'd raise everything, but I'd fall down. Right? I mean, we all struggle, right? But here's what I know about Doug. And I know about you. If you're a believer, we all will still fight this old flesh, and we're all still going to sin. We're all still going to blow it. But here's the difference in a believer and non-believer. A non-believer goes, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done that, but oh well. A believer feels conviction. A believer feels remorse. A believer understands when I've done this, even though I did it, even though I know I shouldn't have done it, there's something in me that knows that I have violated my relationship with God, that I have violated and I've rebelled against God, and I'm convicted and I'm heartbroken that I've done it. That's the difference. A believer feels conviction. A non-believer doesn't. So the chief evidence that Christ is in you is, is the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And I love what Paul does there. Paul, Paul says something here in verse 10. Let's go back to verse 10. He says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead. What do you mean by that? The body is dead. That means this, that because of sin into the world, all of us are going to die, whether you believe it or not. And you, I know you're not going to believe it, but when you hit 40, you go, that pastor is really right. Your body is decaying. Everybody 40 and older, can I say Amen. I mean, it's like decaying. It's like, no, I work out every day. Well, I don't care. It's still decaying, right? Our bodies are decaying. We are, because of sin, we are dying. We are all dying. I know it's such encouragement. We all are. But then he says this, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. In other words, even though you're dead, your, your body's decaying, because of what Christ has done for you, you are alive in Christ. How many of you really feel alive this morning? I'm not talking about, hey, I'm breathing. I mean, I'm talking about you feel alive, like you've got purpose and you've got mission and you've got a journey and you've got people that need to be reached for the gospel and you're going to love Jesus and you're going to shout from the rooftops. I mean, how many really feel alive this morning? Because he says, because even Christ in you, if the Holy Spirit is in you, you're not dead. You are alive. And some of us don't act very much alive, do we? Right? I've said it before, but it's been a while, so I'll say it again. We kind of live with the hee-haw theology. Anybody remember watching hee-haw growing up as a kid? Oh, my gosh, we watched it every night. There was a song on there, Gloom Despair, Agony on Me, Deep Dark Depression, Excessive Misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom Despair, Agony on Me. Too many believers are living just like that. He says, listen, you are alive. And I love what he says here at the end. Look what he says here at the end. He says in, in verse uh, 11, if the spirit of him, talking about the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, if the Holy Spirit, who was the divine agent and the resurrection of Christ, is also the divine agent in giving you the life, not only the life eternal, but the abundant life that he wants you to have right now. So he says, listen, the chief evidence that you are in Christ is the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. 
Now, this morning, I want you to look at me just for a moment as we close. I really feel like this is not one of those messages where I'm like, hey, I want to create any doubt in anybody's heart. But as I read this passage, and was studying this passage a few weeks ago, and as I was praying over it just a couple days ago, I thought, you know, maybe some of us need to define our relationship. Now, if I ask you if you were, if you were in Christ, some of you would give me this answer. Well, Doug, I grew up in church. That doesn't work. Well, my grandma always took me to church. That doesn't matter. Well, I went to youth camp. I kind of always went to Sunday school. I'm asking you this morning, listen. Will you please really define your relationship? Will you ask yourself, would you examine your heart and go, am I really in Christ or am I in the flesh? Well, Doug, I call myself a Christian. You know one of the most haunting verses to me? It's one of these verses I can never get out of my head. It's in Matthew 7, verse 23, when Jesus says, and they will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I do all these miracles in your name? And he said, I will look to them and say, depart from me, for I never, what? Knew you. Hey, you knew about me. You knew of me. But we didn't have a relationship. And I'm asking today, would you really define that relationship? See, what Paul has told them is, listen, here's the benefits of being in Christ. And you're made right with God. You're, 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 I mean, you, you are made right with God. There, there, there's peace with God. There's no condemnation. Now you're, you're living a life that can please God. I want, you to know, I want you to know the benefit of that when your mind is focused on the right things, it brings life and it brings peace to your soul. And so I'm asking this morning, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you truly have trusted Christ as your Savior? Listen, I, I've been doing this a long time. And I've met people after people after people who spent their life wearing the tag of Christian but later to find out, I never really made that decision. And I'm, like I said, I'm not trying to create doubt. I'm just saying when you read this passage, because we're about to jump next week into this whole idea of being sons and daughters and adopted, which is incredible. But I want you to know that you fit in that category if we ever get there. And it's important for you to define your relationship. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you have a relationship with Christ? And if not, listen, it's just this easy. And just by acknowledging the Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've said things, I've done things, I've thought things that were rebellion against you. And I believe from the very fiber of my being that Jesus died on a cross for me. He took my place and I surrender my life to him. It's just that easy. And maybe some of you need to do that today. But if you are a believer, can I, can I ask you to do a few things this morning? Can I ask you, first of all, would you celebrate that you no longer stand condemned, but you stand forgiven? I'm telling you, that should light you up this morning. You should go to lunch this morning, pumped up the fact that you stand when God sees you. When, Colleen, when God sees Colleen Madden, what he sees is someone who's been forgiven. When he sees Steve Tucker, he sees someone who's been forgiven. When God looks out and he sees Colby Fulright, he says, someone who's forgiven. There's something beautiful about knowing that I can stand before holy God, and the way he sees me is not poor, pitiful, and wretched, but I belong to him, and that I am forgiven. And so would you celebrate that? In fact, we're going to sing in a moment. And would you celebrate that? But then also I'd ask you, if you're a believer, would you examine your mindset? Would you ask yourself, where's your mind been? Is it on spiritual things or maybe not so spiritual things? And maybe you need to confess that to the Lord. Say, Lord, I've been focused and thinking about the wrong things. Would you help me guard my mind? Would you help me protect my mind, Lord? Would you help me live out Romans 12 where it says, I no longer need to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind? God, would you help me do that this week? I want to get my mind right with you. And then last of all, if you're a believer, would you be moldable? Here's what I've learned in my life. 
if the Holy Spirit is in me as a believer, one of his roles is to guide me and direct me. And I don't know you, but I'm really good at ignoring the Holy Spirit. Anybody else? And I need to be moldable. I need to feel the nudgings of the Holy Spirit, the guiding of the Holy Spirit, and surrender to what he wants me to do. So if you're a believer today, I want you to celebrate. But I want you to examine your mind too. And then I want you to commit. Would you be moldable this morning? Would you say, Holy Spirit, as you guide me, as you direct me, as you prompt me, I'm in. Whatever you want me to do, I'm in. So how the Lord may lead you, would you be faithful to respond to that? Let's all stand together if we would. Everybody stand with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's pray together. God, I love you. And I thank you for today. I thank you for this amazing passage. God, if there's one verse that we should be shouting from the rooftops, it's Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Lord, for those of us today that know you as our Savior, that's a moment of celebration for us. I'm not condemned. I will never see a sentence or a penalty or a punishment for my sin. Jesus took it all for me. I stand forgiven. Accepted, loved. God, I pray for believers today as we sing that you would overflow our hearts this morning, that out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths would sing and declare the freedom we have in you. And God, that that would permeate to how we live our lives. God, I pray that we would examine our minds. We confess the things that we've thought about we shouldn't be thinking about. But God, today that we would have a heart. Maybe we need to come to this altar. Maybe we need to seek someone to pray for us. But we would have a heart that says, Lord, I want to be moldable. I want to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in my life. So God, I pray for believers today. I pray where there is not much of a fire, you would light a fire in their heart this morning. Where there's a great fire, would you just throw gasoline on it? Would we celebrate your goodness today? But Lord, I pray that we would take time to really think about our mindset, that we would take time to think about, are we following your leadership? Lord, and I pray for that person, those people here today, that they were seriously honest and thought about their relationship and defined the relationship. Maybe they would see that they're not in Christ, but they're in the flesh. God, would you remind them this morning, they don't have to leave here that way. They can leave here in Christ. They can leave here as a child of the Most High God. They can leave here no longer condemned. They can leave here as someone who's been accepted and forgiven. But all they have to do is surrender their life to you. So God, would you give them the courage to do that? Be with us, Lord, as we sing this morning. As we continue to worship and lift up the only name worth lifting up, the name of Jesus. Would you move in this a moment? For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Now. Maybe you need to come pray. The altar will be open. If you're going to pray with someone I know, Jason and Kelly will be over here and Pat and Willie are over there. They'd love to pray with you. But maybe for some of you, this whole moldable thing, maybe it's like, you know, some of you, you've been a Christian for a while, but you've never followed a believer's baptism. You never let the world know you belong to Christ. Maybe you need to respond that way. However you need to respond, would you be faithful to do it? In fact, there's a, there's a little response card at the bottom of your handout piece this morning. And if you need to make a response, would you fill that out and drop it in the offering bin or outside as you go to the connection table, drop it in there? I would love to reach out to you. But listen, every single one of us in this room right now, this moment, need to DTR. We need to define the relationship. And if you're in Christ, 
this should be a great moment we're about to have. And if you're in the flesh, would you say yes to him this morning? Have Lord's leading you. Let's be faithful to follow.